0: In alhamdulillah, Hamdalilla, in the Hamdalilla, Ahmed who was a steino, who was a stofero, when I owned the willahim in Shururi and Fusina, women say Ati Amalina, when Yahdi Hillahu fellah movilella, women Yibril fellah hadiella, wash Hadunlah illaha illallah, who was the Hula Sharikala, wash Hadunna Mohammedan Abed Sulu. My continuing with. كتاب tahara the chapter of purification، باب قضاء الحاجة، the chapter regarding answering the call of nature. حديث أبي جابر رضي الله عنه قال: قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا تغوط الرجلان فليت كل واحد منهما عن صاحبه ولا يتحدث فإن الله يمقوط على ذلك. رواه أحمد وصححه ابن سكن. وَابْنِ الْقَطَّانِ وَهُوَ مَعْلُولُ In this hadith of Jabir radiyallahu anhu he says that the Prophet ﷺ said إِذَا تَغَوَّطَ الرَّجُلَانَ If two individuals, two men, two individuals are answering the call of nature فَلْيَتَوَارَى كُلُّ وَاحِدٍ مِّنْهُمَ عَنْ صَاحِبِهِ Then each one of them needs to conceal himself from the other وَلَا يَتَحَدَّثَا And they should not speak he should not converse. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَمْقُتُ عَلَى <ذَلِك> Because indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, that is something which causes his anger. That the two individuals are answering the call of nature and speaking and conversing with each other at the same time. Narrated by Ahmed and Al-Hafid ibn Hajar says that the hadith has some weakness in it. So the meaning of the hadith, is that If two individuals have gone somewhere for the purpose of answering the call of nature. The hadith doesn't mean that it has to be two people. There could be multiple people. There could be many people. The point is, if there are multiple people, two, three, four, five, six, who go out, to relieve themselves, and they conceal, conceal themselves, so they can't see each other, but they are maybe close by, so they converse, they raise their voices and they converse, whilst uh, answering the call of nature, and that is something which the hadith is speaking about. So it could be more than two, it could be more than two, it could be two men, two women, male, female, they are all included in this, كُلُّ مِنْهُمَا عَنْ صَاحِبِهِ So the two of them, whether it's two males, two females, they have to conceal themselves from each other. If there's two of them, they go out somewhere into the desert or some place where they're going to relieve themselves, then they need to go somewhere where they are both concealed from each other. So, that each one of them has to go into some absence, he has to conceal himself into a place where he is hidden from the sight of his companion. وَلَا بَعْضُهُم عُورَةِ بَعْضُ And they cannot look at each other's private areas. The awrah. لَأَنَّ هَذَا مُحَرَّمٌ This is something which is haram, عِنْدَ قَضَاءِ الْحَاجَةِ أَوْ فِي غَيْرِ ذَلِكِ Whether it is at the time of answering the call of nature or at any other time, it is impermissible to look at the awrah of another individual. Uh, لِأَنَّهُ يُفْضِي إِلَى الْحَرَامُ وَفِعْلِ الْفَاحِشَةِ because that is something which could lead onto a haram, an act which is haram uh, and a فاحشة, uh, something lewd, some uh, type of inappropriate action may occur as a consequence of looking. And the act of looking itself is haram. ثُمَّ إِنَّ كَشْفَ الْعُرَ أَمَامَ الْآخَرِينَ أَمَامَ الْآخَرِينَ مُنَافٍ لِلْمُرُؤَ والحياء وَالْأَخْلَاقُ وَالْقِيمِ also, exposing your private area in front of someone else indicates a lack of honor, a lack of shame, a lack of manners, and a lack of values. That person doesn't have any values, he doesn't have any man- manners, morals, shyness, humbleness, honor. None of that exists if you expose yourself in front of someone else. لذا فَإِنَّهُ يَنْبَغِيْ عَلَى الْمَرْءِ إِذَا أَرَادَ قَضَاءِ حَاجَتِهِ أَنْ عَنْ النَّاسِ so that's why it is befitting the Shaykh says if an individual wants to answer the call of nature that he conceals himself. وَلَا In the hadith then there is a prohibition that they speak to each other. Whilst they are relieving themselves, answering the call of nature, using the toilet, then it is impermissible for them to speak with each other. So the hadith indicates that this is haram, it's not permissible. فَهَذَا even لَا يجوز. Because when a person does that, he is going to the toilet, he is using the toilet, but across the cubicle, or how we have it now, the cubicles or whatever, then he is speaking to the other people, and they are having a conversation. Whilst they are in the cubicles, and they are answering the call of nature, and similarly in the hadith it says, if you went out somewhere and they concealed themselves, behind uh, ditches or whatever it might be, and then they raise their voices and they speak to each other whilst answering the call of nature. And this is something the Hadith indicates is not permissible, because that indicates a lack of manners, a lack of morals, and it indicates a lack of humility and shyness, and humbleness and modesty. وَقَدْ مَرَّ رَجُلٌ وَالنَّبِيُّ صلى الله عليه وسلم يبول it's narrated, the Shaykh says, that on one occasion the Prophet ﷺ was concealed somewhere urinating. And an individual walked past and he saw the Prophet ﷺ. He saw the Prophet ﷺ, maybe the head of the Prophet ﷺ or something of that nature. So he gave salam. The man gave salam. But the Prophet ﷺ did not respond. Because in that state, whilst you're answering the call of nature, it is not befitting to be replying with the salam, Alaikum salam rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, And you're answering the call of nature at the same time, and that is something which is not befitting and it's not suitable. Despite the fact that answering to the salam and replying to the salam is actually something which is wajib. So normally when someone gives you the salam, you have to say it back. You have to respond, wajib. But in this instance, in this situation, when you're answering the call of nature and someone gives you the salam, the shaykh says, it is not obligatory upon you in that instance. Because of that situation you're in, you are now excused from giving the salam back. Because the hadith then says, "فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَمْقُتُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ" that Allah subhanahu wa taala becomes extremely angry at that. يَمْقُتُ means غضب, anger, but severe anger. فَفِيهِ وَصْفُهُ سُبْحَانَهُ بِشِدَّةِ الغَضَبِ وَهَذِهِ سِفَاتِهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى لا نَتَعْرَضُ لَهَا أَوْ تَشْبِيهِ. So Allah subhanahu wa taala, one of His attributes is maqt the severe anger severe anger and that is one of the attributes of Allah just like all of his other attributes and we don't try to give that any interpretation or any resemblance or similarity to creation so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we know he gets angry we know he laughs we know he is pleased we know all of these different types of things are from the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but we don't know what the reality in terms of their descriptions is as for the reality in terms of the meanings and the words then we know that but the details and the descriptions, then we don't know those affairs. And that is the aqidah of Ahl-Sunnah wal Al-Hafidh ibn hajar said though that this hadith is ma'lul meaning that it has some problem in it, in terms of the authenticity. And the people who have explained this hadith have mentioned what this problem in its authenticity is. وَهِيَ أَنَّ فِيهِ رَجُلًا يُقَالَ لَهُ الْعِكْرِمَ إِبْنُ عَمَّارِ Yamani. وهو مضطرب عن يحيى بن أبي Kathir, Walakin Al Hadith شواهد يتحسن biha. Because in the chain of narration of this hadith, there is an individual known as عِكْرِمَةِ ibn Ammar al This particular narrator was not reliable in his narrations from Yahya ibn Abi Kathir. When he used to narrate from Yahya ibn Abi Kathir, then his narrations were not very reliable. They were confused. There were issues in those narrations. That's what the scholars have mentioned. And in this chain of narration, it is exactly like that. Ikrima ibn Ammar al-Yamani narrates from Yahya ibn Abi Kathir. So that is one of those where there is issues in that. However, the Shaykh says there are many other hadith that back up this particular hadith. They back up this hadith in this concept of not speaking when relieving the uh, when uh, relieving yourself, answering the call of nature, which would therefore indicate that it's a correct opinion that you shouldn't be conversing or speaking to anyone whilst answering the call of nature. So, what can we benefit from these ahadith or this hadith? The Shaykh says, firstly, the obligation of concealing yourself, hiding yourself, covering yourself from the eyesight of the people when answering the call of nature. Secondly, The impermissibility of looking at the awrah of another person whilst answering the call of nature or outside of that, i.e. any time to look at the awrah of a person, the private region of a person, and that is because it can lead to lewd acts, it can lead to inappropriate haram types of actions. And also it is something which uh, goes against the honor of a person and the manners of a person. Also, تحريم الكلام حال قضاء الحاجة لقول ولا The impermissibility of speaking when you are using the toilet. And that is because of the statement of the Prophet in the hadith, And that they should not speak to each other. المسألة الرابعة في الحديث وَصْفُ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى بِأَنَّهُ يَغْضَبُ وَيَشْتَدُّ وضب. In the hadith there is one of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the attributes of Allah that we mentioned a long time ago when we were doing Ha'iyyat ibn Abi Daud we spoke about some of the attributes of Allah similarly when we were doing Usul Sunnah of Imam Ahmad with the translation from the tellylings of Shaykh Hassan al-Banna we mentioned some of the attributes of Allah and some of the Speech regarding that and the position of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Here in this hadith, it mentions one of those attributes, the attribute of maqt, which is severe anger. After that, the next hadith, Anabi Qatada radiallahu anhu, قال, قال Rasulullah, la yumsi kenna ahadukum zakara hubi yaminihi wa huwi abul. Wala yatamassah minal khala'i bi yaminihi, wala yatanafas fil ina. Muttafaqun alayhi wa lafthuli Muslim. رَضِيَ Qatada radiallahu anhu, Abu Qatada radiallahu anhu narrates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said that none of you should touch or hold your private parts with your right hand whilst you are urinating. None of you should hold your private parts with your right hand whilst you are urinating and do not touch the, the place of your, the toilet area with your right hand. And do not breathe into a vessel. The explanation will come now. The hadith is in Al-Bukhariya, Muslim. So firstly, the Prophet ﷺ said, لَا ahadukum أَحَدُكُمْ ذَكَرَهُ بِيَمِينِهِ In this, there are three characteristics that the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned, the person needs to be aware of when using the toilet, when answering to the call of nature. Whether it's in the toilet or whether it's somewhere else, answering the call of nature. We say using the toilet because that is the common thing now. That is the common thing and that is almost exclusively what happens. But any, in any case, using the toilet or elsewhere, the point is answering the call of nature. So there are three characteristics that the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned, three manners of using the toilet. Firstly, لا يمسكنا None of you should hold here this is a prohibition a prohibition with an emphasis on it la prohibition la anahiya yumsikanna noon at the end this noon at tawkid indicates emphasis so it means definitely certainly do not hold la yumsikanna ahadukum dhakaraahu biyamine. none of you should hold your private parts the private region with your right hand where you urinate from. None of you should hold that with your right hand. And this is not something specific to men, even for the women, that they should not touch that private area with the right hand. Similarly, men and women should not touch the private area with your right hand whilst urinating. Similarly, it's not only the front private parts, but the back private parts also. That both private parts should not be touched with the right hand during relieving yourself, uh, answering the call of nature. فَلَا ينبغي للرجل أَوِ المرأة أَنْ أَحَدُهُمَا فَرَجَهُ أَوْ بِيَدْهِ الْيُمْنَىٰ and that is because the right hand is for the honorable things. You eat with your right hand, you drink with your right hand, you do the dhikr on your right hand. These are from the honorable things that you do with your right hand. Whereas the left hand is used for those things that are not honorable in that way. So, relieving yourself, cleaning yourself after using the toilet, etc. That's for the left hand. As for the right hand, then that is for the honorable things. And we already mentioned the hadith about how the Prophet ﷺ The Prophet Wasallam used to like to do things with the right hand side. So it's mentioned how he used to put his right shoe on first, how he used to comb the right side of his head first, how he used to begin with the right side of his body in making the purification. The right side is something which is befitting or more honorable to do. So, here it's mentioned do not touch the private parts with your right hand during answering the call of nature. If a person needs to touch his private parts, then it is to be done with the left hand. Similarly, a person should not clean himself after having finished answering the call of nature, the first point was during the call of nature, during whilst you are using the toilet, then do not touch your private parts with your right hand. Once you finished and you need to clean yourself, the second mannerism mentioned here is do not clean yourself after you finished with your right hand. Do it with the left hand. وَلَا يَتَنَفَّسُ هذا هو الادب الثالث في الحديث وهي النهي عن التنفس في الاناء حال الشرب لان تنفسه في الاناء يكرهه على غيره فلربما تطاير مع نفسه شيء من ريقه او من مخلفات فمه فيقذر الشراب, الشراب الذي يشرب منه على غيره او حتى أو شراب الذي يشرب منه على غيره حتى على نفسه هذه هي الحكمة من المنع في التنفس في الاناء والله اعلم The third mannerism which is mentioned is that you should not breathe into a cup that you are drinking from. If you are drinking from a cup of water or some other item of liquid that you are drinking from in a cup, then you shouldn't breathe into that cup. The reason for that is that if you were to breathe into it, then maybe some of your spittle might go into it, or something else from your mouth might go into it, and thereafter nobody else would want to drink from that cup. Or you yourself might not want to carry on drinking from it knowing that something has fallen out of your mouth into it. So here one of the mannerisms of eating and drinking has been mentioned that with the cup, do not breathe into it, do not blow into it or breathe into it. Because the wisdom is something may fall into it from your mouth and that would make it something disgusting then afterwards, you wouldn't want to drink it anymore. And nobody else would want to drink it anymore. So don't breathe into the cup directly. So the legislative thing is that if somebody is drinking, do not blow and breathe directly into the cup, but breathe outside of it, away from it. And it's a mustahab that he breathes three times as the Prophet ﷺ used to do. That he drinks with three breaths and that is outside of the cup. Illa Anna Lula Maistath no Hala Wahida Wahir and the Shurbil Asha Keltahwa Washai Walmarak Fashel Hala Basa and Yinfahlin Sana Fihimin Ajli and Anyabrot Yahajati Hili Day. Except the scholars mentioned an exception. The Sheikh says there is an exception to breathing into the cup. And that is if you had something really hot. If you had something really hot, some of the scholars have made an exception, like tea and coffee and Soup or something of that nature. If you had something hot, some of the scholars have said then it is okay to blow into it, to cool it down. Some of the scholars say it's okay, to cool it down you can. But generally speaking, the ruling is that for drinks and liquids, you do not blow into it in that way. hadith masai, So this hadith indicates various things. Firstly, it indicates that it is impermissible to touch the private parts whilst you are relieving yourself with the right hand. If there is a need, then with the left hand you do it. Secondly, after you finish, then it is mentioned in the hadith that you clean yourself with your left hand, not with the right. That you get yourself into the habit of using the left hand to clean yourself. The third thing which is about eating and drinking is that you do not breathe into the vessel that you are drinking from. The fourth issue is that the hadith indicates the completeness of the Sharia. The absolute completeness of the sharia, of the legislation to the extent that we are told about these small items that we may consider to be small. And in reality they are the manners and the morals and the behaviors, the mannerisms of using the toilet. All of these things that you don't touch your private parts with your left hand, you don't clean yourself with your left hand. All of these are details that prove the completeness of the sharia. That every aspect has been explained to us how we do it and what we do. So it explains to us what the good and honorable mannerisms are, and what the degrading and disgusting mannerisms are. So from them, from the degrading mannerisms, is to clean yourself with your left, right hand, and to touch your private parts with your right hand. Because afterwards you're going to use that right hand for dhikr, you're going to use it for eating and drinking. So the sharia, it explains to you what the honor is, and what the good mannerisms are, and what the bad mannerisms are. So that is that hadith, and there are some mannerisms there mentioned about using the toilet also The next hadith after that is the hadith of Salman Salman radiyallahu anhu qala Laqad nahana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam an nastaqbil al-qibla bi ghaitin wa bawr aw an nastanjiya bil-yamin aw an nastanjiya bi aqall in the hadith of Sahih Muslim Salman, Anhu narrates that the Prophet prohibited us from facing the qibla whilst relieving ourselves. From facing the qibla whilst using the toilet. Or that we clean ourselves with our right hands afterwards. Or That we clean ourselves with less than three stones. Clean ourselves with less than three stones. All of this will be explained. Or that we clean ourselves with the dried up droppings of animals or bones. So what is the meaning of all of this? Firstly, the hadith of Salman. He is Salman al-Farisi anhu known as Salman al-Farisi, because he was from Faris, that area of Faris. And his two parents, they were fire worshippers. They were of those types of pagans. And they were from those individuals who used to worship the fire, and they were at the head of those individuals who used to worship the fire, except that Salman, Al-Farisi r.a, even though his parents are fire worshippers, he actually initially was a Christian. He initially had left fire worshipping as his parents were upon, and had gone to Christianity originally. إِلَّا أَنَّ سَلْمَانَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ تَدَيَّنَ بِدِينِ النَّصَارَةِ وَتَرَكَ الْمَجُوسِيَّةِ وَتَنَقَّلَ أَثْنَاءَ تَعَلُّمِهِ النَّصْرَانِيَّ مِنْ رَاهِبٍ لَرَاهِبٍ and whilst he was learning about Christianity, he used to go from one monk to the next So whenever he used to be with a monk learning about Christianity, if that monk was about to die, he would tell him who else to go to. He would advise him with a different monk, so he would go to that monk, so he would learn from him when that monk was about to die, he would advise him go to such and such. so he would go to him next, and like this, he would carry on learning. From the different monks. For الموت a سلمان rahib, if I had a remote, Yamur Sulman, be the Havilera, he been after Dulu Alay, for heذهw, he is Sulman, and he could Hatta, he Kana, Akhir Rahib, Min Hau Lahe, Ruhban, Akbar Sulman, Banahu La Yarim Rahiban So he used to go from monk to monk to monk. Whenever one monk died, he advised him with the next one. When that one died, he would advise him with the next one. Eventually, he came to a monk, and when that monk was about to die, he said, I haven't got any other monks that I know of that I can advise you to go to next. However, he said, There is news of a prophet that is going to come and he's going to be sent and he's going to make hijrah to a place called Medina. There is news of these affairs. That's what the final monk told him. I.e., he mentioned to him about the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu That's what he was speaking about. That there are news of a prophet coming. So that's what the final monk told him. So when the uh, Salman al-Farisiyah heard that, he went to Medina. Tawajha yuridul Medina. So he went to Medina. On the way, when he was on the way to Medina, a group of people came on the way and they took him and they stole him, they kidnapped him. They kidnapped him and they sold him to a Jew in Medina. So this is the story of Salman al-Farisi. He used to go from one monk to the next whilst he was learning. The final monk said, I don't know any other monks. I don't know any other monks. But I do know of a prophet that's being mentioned he's going to be sent in Medina. He's going to make Hijra to Medina. So Salman al farsi went on his way to Medina. On the way he was kidnapped. And he was sold by his kidnappers to these Jewish, this Jewish individual in Medina. So Salman al farsi he ended up being with this Jew in Medina. إِلَىٰ أَنْ Al الْمَدِينَةِ So he stayed there up until the Prophet arrived in Medina. He came to him when Prophet ﷺ came to Medina. Salman al farisi went, and he recognized the characteristics of the Prophet ﷺ as had been described to him. So he knew this is the Prophet ﷺ who the final monk had described to him. He knew this is the one. فآمن به. So he believed in him. Salman al farisi believed in him, and he accepted Islam. So, when the Jew found out about that, he became angry. Then, after that, the Prophet brought or bought, he bought Salman al off that Jew. He bought him, he paid the Jew and he bought him. And after he bought him, now Salman al was the slave of the Prophet. But the Prophet freed him. He made him a freed slave. So he became free. حَتَّى قَالَ sallam فِيهِ سَلْمَان مِنَّ أَهْلُ Up until the Prophet used to say Salman is like from our own family. So this, this is the story of Salman and Farisi. Also it's mentioned in the time of Umar رضي الله عنه, Umar ibn Khattab رضي الله عنه على فارس لما فتحت. When Faris, which may be the region of Iran and those kinds of places now that in those days when it was conquered, Umar al-Khattab sent Salman al farsi to go and look after that area. فَصَارَ أَمِيرًا Al Madain. So he became in charge of those areas. وَكَانَ لَا يأكل مِنْ بَيْتِ المال And he would not eat anything, would not take anything that was given to him from al Mal, the, the Muslim funds, the money that Islam had at that time. وَإِنَّمَا كَانَ يَشْتَغْلُ بيده so he wouldn't take from the money that the Muslims would gather and what the Muslims had as a whole for the, for the, Muslim, for, for the purposes of Islam. Rather, he would go and earn his own money. kasbi yadihi, And he would eat from the money he would earn for himself. min And anything that used to come to him from the gatherings of the Muslim wealth, then he wouldn't use any of that. He would give it in charity. And it's mentioned he lived a very long time, he was old in age. Heathu innahu who tenakala min Rahibin in la ila and jaa ila nevesa sallam wa ma'a wa ashaba adahu. You call inna umruhu or inna umrahu falaf mi'a wa khamsuna sana. falaf mi'a wa sittuna sana. Waki akal min valik, wallahu alam almuhin anna umira umrahu tawilan fi ta'atilla. So it's mentioned that he lived a very long time. That Salman al-Farisi, he lived a very long life. As we mentioned, he used to go from one monk to the next monk to the next monk and each monk would die. I would advise him to go to the next monk. He would go there and spend some time there, years maybe. When that monk died, he would go to the next one. And he carried on doing this years and years of his life. So he lived a very long time until he finally came to the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. And he was uh, sold by the Jew to the Prophet ﷺ. So he lived a long life. Some of the scholars, they say, all of that life added up was somewhere in the region of 350 years. Some of them say 360 years. And some of them said it was less than that. So this is what they mentioned regarding how long Salman al-Farisi he lived. And the Shaykh says, Allah what the exact figure was, but it's been mentioned. It's been mentioned in the books that 350, 360 years. Not 350 and 360 after the death of the Prophet Not after the death of the Prophet but altogether. So it could be that he was maybe already 200, 300 when he met the Prophet And then there was another few years after that. Because we know that there was no more companions there were no more companions left after how many years after the death of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? 110 years after the Hijrah. So 100 years after the death of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Correct. 100 years after the death of the Prophet Sallallahu there were no more companions left. They say Abu, Abu Tufail. His name was Abu Tufail. He was the final companion, as many of the scholars mentioned, who died in 110 Hijri. 110 Hijri, therefore 100 years after the death of the Prophet So we know that there was no more companions after that. So when we say that Salman al-Farisi, some of the scholars, they say he lived 350 years or 360 years, then definitely we know there couldn't have been more than 100 after the death of the Prophet No more than that. All the others must have been before that time. But anyway, that is a brief biography of Salman al-Farisi who narrates this hadith anhu. So he says that the Prophet he forbade us from facing the qibla when using the toilet, when answering the call of nature. Or that we should use our right hands, or that we should use our right hands in cleaning ourselves after relieving ourselves or that we clean ourselves with less than three stones or that we clean ourselves with dried dung or bones so there are four issues mentioned there the first issue which is about not facing the kaaba not facing the qibla when using the toilet an nahy al awwal an nastaqbil al qibla bi bawl aw gha'it wal murad bil qibla al ka'bah al musharrafah fal muslim manhī أن يستقبل الكعبة وهو Wa الله عز وجل. ولأن القبلة إنما تستقبل في العبادات. فلا يجوز أن تستقبل أن تستقبل في والمستقرة. The first prohibition is to face the Ka'aba whilst answering the call of nature. That is impermissible, that is something which is prohibited here in this hadith. The reason being because the Kaaba is something that you face at the time of worship. At the time of worship you face the Kaaba, Not at the time of doing something which is degrading or something which is not honorable. Using the toilet and relieving yourself. So the Kaaba is something honorable and you face towards it at honorable times in worship etc. Not at times of using the toilet. So that is prohibited from in this hadith to face the Qibla whilst answering the call of nature. Whether that is urine or the other type. Both types of answering the call of nature. Also it's mentioned that a person shouldn't sit with his back to the qibla when urinating. He shouldn't sit with his back to the qibla when urinating. Rather he should be to the sides. That's mentioned as well. And this is from the Islamic manners the Shaykh says. وَمِمَّا يَدُلُّ عَلَى ذَلَكَ حَدِيثِ أَبِي أَيُّوْبِ الَّذِي سَاقَهُ المصنف بَعْدَهُ حَيْثُ قَالَ And something which indicates that is the hadith actually which comes uh, next. The very next hadith is linked to this and it indicates this point. The hadith of Abu Ayyub Al-Ansari رضي الله عنه, لَا wala وَلَا بِبَوْلِ وَلَا which is in Sahih Muslim and Sahih al-Bukhari, Sahih Sahih Muslim, Abu Dawud, Al-Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, Al-Nasai, and Al-Musnad of Imam Ahmad. It's in all of those books. The hadith of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari Anhu, Do not face the qibla, and do not turn your back to the qibla when using the toilet, instead go to the east and the west. Or rather go to the sides. Don't face it, and don't turn your back to it, but go to the sides instead. That's what's mentioned in that hadith. So that is a, a, an evidence which indicates that you cannot face the qibla when you are uh, using the toilet. And instead you are to go to the sides. Go to the sides. Face one of the sides. Deviate to one of the sides. an anil qibla, Meaning that you then have the ka'aba, the qibla at your side. You're either facing this way so the qibla is on your side or you're facing that way and the qibla is on the other side. But you're not facing the qibla and either do you go the other way so your back is towards the qibla. Rather you are facing one of the two sides. That's what's mentioned and that's what's mentioned in this particular hadith. (laughs) هذا بالنسبة لأهل المدينة لأن القبلا بالنسبة إليهم تكون إلى جهة الجنوب فإذا شرق أو غرب استقبل الشرق أو الغرب فصارت الكعبة إلى جنبه ويقاس على هذا بَقِيَةَ الجهاد فمن كان في المشرق والمغرب وانه يستقبل الشمال والجنوب The hadith says do not face the kaaba do not give your back to the kaaba go to the east or the west the east or the west that is referring specifically to the people of medina it is referring specifically to the people of medina وهو ان الانسان uh, نعم لان القبلة بالنسبة اليهم يكون او تكون الى جهة الجنوب Because the Qibla with regards to the people of Medina is to the south. So they can't face the south because then they'd be facing the Qibla. They can't face the north because then their backs would be towards the Qibla. Therefore the people of Medina would have to face the east or the west. That is regarding them. If somebody lives in some other location where the Qibla isn't in the south, the Qibla is in the north from where they are, or it's in the east where they are, or it's in the west where they are, then they just alternate their directions Accordingly They alternate their directions accordingly So that the qibla ends up on one of their sides Whatever that side might be وَالنَّهْيُ ظَاهِرُهُ أَنَّهُ عَامُ أن كَانَ الْإِنسَانَ فِي دَاخِلِ الْبُنْيَانِ أَوْ فِي خَارِجِهِ And the sheikh says it appears As if this prohibition is general Whether you are out in the open somewhere in the desert Or inside of your homes Inside of your homes, behind Built walls and things it appears it's a general prohibition. Whether you're in your home, in a room, built walls around you, there's a bathroom with walls around it, still the same ruling. That's what it appears. Because the hadith quite clearly says don't face it and don't give your back to it. However, Ja'afi hadith Ibn Umar, it's been mentioned in the hadith of Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu ma Annahu ra'an Nabi sallam yaqdi hajatahu wa hua mustaqbilun mustadbirun al-ka'bah. He saw the Prophet ﷺ urinating and he was facing towards Sham, the north, and therefore his back was towards the south, which was the direction of the Kaaba. So this is obviously something problematic now. How do we understand that? If the first hadith of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari says, don't face it and don't give your back to it, rather face one of the sides. But this hadith says that the Prophet ﷺ was facing the north and therefore his back was towards the Qibla. When answering the call of nature, so how, how do we understand that? The Sheikh says this is problematic now, this might become problematic for people. The scholars have agreed, the Shaykh says. The scholars have agreed, united upon the fact that it is not permissible to face the Kaaba or to give your back to the Kaaba whilst using the toilet. If you are out in the open, not inside of a toilet with walls around it, inside of a building, inside of a structure, not inside of a structure or building, if you are out in the open, then you cannot face it and you cannot give your back to it. That's united upon, agreed upon. If you go out in the desert somewhere, you're out in the open somewhere, you cannot face the Kaaba, you cannot give your back to the Kaaba. It must be at the side. However, they have differed about the fact if you were inside a building somewhere, you're inside a building and there's walls all around you, in a bathroom, you're in a bathroom and there's walls all the way around you blocking you in, then what's the ruling? Can you face the Kaaba or give your back to the Kaaba now? Because you've got walls all around you blocking you in anyway. You're blocked in. You're not directly facing the Kaaba or giving your back to it. There's a wall blocking you in. Here the scholars they differed. Two opinions. The first opinion, Annahu Yeshmeluhu and Nehi. That still you cannot face the Ka'aba or give your back to it because the prohibition is general. The prohibition is general and therefore you cannot face the Ka'aba, no give your back to the Ka'aba, even if you're inside a building and there's walls blocking you in, like most of the toilets are nowadays. That's the first opinion and that is the choice of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah ibn al-Qayyim also and many of the other scholars. And the Sheikh says حَتَّى إِنَّ الَّذِي فِي لَا بُدَّ أَنَّ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ مُرْتَفِعَاتِ وَجِبَالًا وَأَشْيَاءَ حَائِلًا وَمَعَ هَذَا نُهِيَ عَنْ ذَلِكَ Because when a person is out in the open You're out in the desert, you're out in the open somewhere. There's always going to be valleys and mountains between you and the Kaaba, isn't there? You're out in the open somewhere in the desert, in somewhere in Saudi Arabia, for example. That way or this way is the Kaaba. So you can't sit like this because your back is going to be the Kaaba. You can't turn around and face that way, you're going to be facing the Kaaba. So to use the toilet, you'd have to face this way or that way. But when you're out in the open even if your back was towards the Kaaba, what if somebody made the argument and said, Well, that's just like being inside of a home where there's walls built around you? Because between me and the Kaaba, there's all types of mountains, there's all types of barriers, there's valleys, there's mountains, there's everything, bushes, everything between me and the Kaaba. So there are still barriers between me and the Kaaba. So if you're going to say that inside of buildings, you're blocked in by these walls and therefore it doesn't count then really you should say even outside it doesn't count then. Because even outside there's going to be mountains and trees and bushes and valleys and all sorts of things that are going to be barriers between you and the Kaaba. So that's why some of the scholars said it doesn't make sense. In that case, outside we know, we've agreed upon outside, you cannot face it or give your back to it. Even if there was a mountain down there in the way, you still wouldn't be allowed to do it. Then therefore, even inside you should not be allowed to do it. So that is the first opinion, outside, inside, you cannot face the Ka'aba or give your back to the Ka'aba. So therefore, the scholars, they say, some of them, that just because you have a building or a structure or walls around you, that is blocking you and the Ka'aba, then that is not an excuse for you to be able to face the Ka'aba or to give your back to the Kaaba. But then, what do you do with the hadith of Ibn Umar? رضي الله عنهما, that he saw the Prophet ﷺ, urinating or answering the call of nature with his back towards the qibla they said that this is something which is specific to the prophet ﷺ. that was an act khassun bihi alaihi salatu wassalam fa ar-rasul sallam idha amara bi shay'in wa shay'in wa fa'ala khilafahu fa inna hadha yakunu khassan bihi alaihi salatu wassalam wa amma nahnu فَمَنْهِيُّونَ فِي هَذَا الْقَوْلُ الْأَوَّلِ They say this is specific to the Prophet wasallam Because They say that if you have a hadith Where the Prophet wasallam Prohibits from something Or gives you some warning or commandment with speech Tells you this is haram This is haram with his speech But then his own actions Tell you something else Like here the Prophet ﷺ with his speech told us, Do not face the Kaaba, do not give your back to the Kaaba. Then, with his actions on this narration, he did it. In that instance, the scholars said, The speech is given priority over the actions. The speech is given priority. So, the speech is given the priority over the action. The speech is clear. The Prophet don't face it, don't give your back to it. Clear. As for the action of the Prophet in doing it, there could be different reasons. There could be different explanations that we're not aware of. So for that reason, the scholar said, the speech is clear, it's blatant. You follow the speech, give it priority over the actions. Here anyway, they say that the action was specific to the Prophet That was something that he specifically did, that he was able to do that. But as for the people, we've been given the commandment. Do not face it, and do not give your back to it. So that's what the first opinion says. If you're inside of a building with walls around you, or if you're outside, it's all the same thing. You cannot face the Kaaba and you cannot give your back to the Kaaba. As for the Prophet ﷺ, they say that was specific. The second opinion is, that the prohibition of facing the Qibla, or giving your back to the Qibla, whilst using the toilet, is only if you are out in the open somewhere. If you're out in the open somewhere, not if you are inside a building with walls around you, blocking you in and making a barrier. Because they say that opinion then combines between all of the different narrations. It combines between all of the different narrations. They say Al Hadith Al Nahi. عَنِ اسْتِقْبَالِ القبلة أَوِ اسْتِدْبَارِهَا نغائط هَذَا عَامُ فِي الْبُنْيَانُ وغيرها. The hadith which says do not face the Ka'aba and do not give your back to the Ka'aba whilst using the toilet, that's general. Inside of buildings, outside of buildings. Yes, we know, it's general. However, the action of the Prophet was specific. So therefore يُحْمَلُ الْعَامُ عَلَى الخاص. You then put the general statement Onto the specific action of the Prophet ﷺ and try to combine them into a result. So, what is the result? Therefore, we can say that the prohibition is when you are out in the open, and the permissibility is when you are blocked in with a structure in a building. That way, you can combine between the narrations al Because then the, the the item or the action which is not liked is no longer present. You're not facing the Kaaba or giving your back to it now technically. You have a wall blocking you in. So they say therefore there's no issue anymore. Because you have a barrier blocking you to the Kaaba. So they say this is how we can combine between the narrations. Because they say that the Prophet ﷺ when Ibn Umar saw him uh, from a distance or saw his head etc. That he was within a wall or within some type of structure, not in the open. So they said, therefore, within structures and buildings and walls, you're blocked technically to the Kaaba, and therefore, it doesn't really matter too much and it's allowed. But out in the open, then it's agreed upon, you cannot face it or give your back to it. Al-Imam as Al-Imam as in his explanation of Bulugh al-Maram, the book Subul al salam he says in the first volume, page three hundred and three, هذا القول أقرب, يعني كأنه رجح هذا He says this opinion is closer to the truth that in buildings it's okay and outside of buildings in the open it's not. مذهب مالك wa في أحد And that is the opinion of Imam Malik, Imam Shafii, and one of the opinions of Imam Ahmad that inside of buildings it's not a major issue. And it's allowed, but outside of buildings then you cannot do that. Face the Kaaba or give your back to it. Um, and obviously Al-Imam Ahmad he has one other opinion. And uh, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa has an opinion that it is impermissible in all times. They take the first opinion. That is the first issue. That is the issue of facing the Kaaba and giving your back to it when urinating or using the toilet generally. The second thing mentioned in the hadith was that you cannot clean yourself afterwards with your right hand. And that is really the same as the previous narration of Abu Qatada. Do not touch your private parts with your right hand. It was already mentioned. So that is the same thing. There's no difference. Don't touch your private parts with your right hand when using the toilet. And don't clean yourself afterwards with your right hand. Use your left hand to clean yourselves. And Nahya Thalith, the third prohibition was that you cannot use less than three stones when doing istinja. Al Istinja is Yusamma to yusamma Istinja is to clean the area where the items have exited from you. When you use the toilet and the feces and the stool, etc. the urine has exited from you, those private parts must then be cleaned. The act of cleaning those private parts is called istinja or istijmar if you're using rocks and stones. So it's mentioned you cannot use less than three stones to purify yourself and to clean the area after using the toilet. You cannot use less than three stones. So you cannot use one stone and you cannot use two stones, but you must use three. فَلَا لِظَاهِرِ hadith. So you cannot use less than that because of the apparent wording of this hadith. And if a person needed more than that, imagine out somewhere, and you use the toilet, you relieve yourself out somewhere in the desert, and then you find some rocks and stones to clean that area, you must use at least three. Must. Then if there is still some signs left which haven't been cleaned yet, you can use more. More isn't a problem. 5, 7, 10, 11, 13, whatever you want to use. But minimum is three. Because the hadith tells you what the minimum is and it doesn't tell you the maximum. Maximum as you please. But the minimum it tells you is three. So if you need more than three, you can carry on. Use as many as you need until that area becomes clean. So then the question is Is the meaning of that that there must be three specific stones, three separate stones? Or does it mean three wipings? That you must wipe yourself three times? Meaning, what if I had a big stone? And I used one side of it and I wiped that area. Then I turn it around and I use a clean side from the other side and wipe that area. I turn it around and the third side I wipe that area, the private area. Now I've done three wipings. Is that the meaning of the hadith? That you must have three wipings... Or is the meaning, no, you must have three specific separate stones. What's the meaning? Because a person might have a big stone with three sides to it. And he uses one side, the second side, the third side of the same stone, and he's done three separate wipings. Is that okay? Or must it be three separate stones? So some of the scholars said, the point is three wipings of that area. Three times you wipe that area, even if it was one stone. One stone, use different sides of it and get three clean wipes. They say that's sufficient. Even if it was one stone. As long as it had three separate areas that you could use. Use one area, it becomes dirty. Use the other area, it becomes dirty. Use the third area, it becomes dirty, and you're done. If that was the case, you had a stone with three separate sides, then that is okay. Because they say the point is to clean yourself with at least three wipings. Similarly, if a person uses something which takes the place of stones, for example, people use now tissue paper and they use other types of wipes or whatever it might be to clean themselves. Those things take the place of stones, so a person would have to use three separate wipings, or a big selection in the same time, but to use separate sides of it for three separate wipings, there must be at least three wipings. Uh, maybe somebody might be somewhere where there aren't stones, so the purpose isn't you have to use stones. Purpose is you use something smooth and soft. Or smooth and uh, hard, meaning uh, something that you can use to be able to clean that area with. Something that can be used to clean that area with. Whatever that might be, stones or anything else that is similar to them, to clean the area with. Must be at least three wipings though. The fourth issue is, and the best thing as we mentioned before, is to use water and stones. Or water and tissue paper, not just to use the tissue paper or the stones. Uh, That it is impermissible to use dried dung. Animals when they relieve themselves, that dung, it dries up and it becomes solid. It's like a stone almost then. It's impermissible to use that solid dung to wipe yourself with. Or bones, you might find some bones lying around. It's impermissible to use those bones also. It's mentioned because رَجِعُ الدَّابَ وَالْعَذَمُ رَجِعُ dabba is the dung which comes out of an individual. The same as what comes out from a human feces and stool. فَهَذَا وَلَوْ كَانَ وَلَوْ كَانَ يُنَقِّي فَإِنَّهُ لَا Even if you could use that to clean yourself with it, you can. Dried dung would do the job. But you cannot use it. Because the Prophet ﷺ has forbidden from that. And similarly bones, even though they could be used to clean yourself with, it would do the job. But you cannot. And the reason for not using those two items is because it's mentioned that it is the food of the jinn. It is the food of the jinn. Uh, And the animals of the jinn. It is the food of the jinn and the animals of the jinn. The uh, dung is the food of the animals of the jinn and the bones are the food of the jinn, etc. These types of things are mentioned. So a person should not use those items to clean himself with because they are needed by the jinn and therefore it would not be something good and honorable to use those items to clean yourself with. Um, A person might say, we don't see that dried dung of animals becomes food for the jinn. And we don't see that bones actually form meat on them so that jinn can then eat them afterwards. We don't see that. Bones are just sit, sat there. They're always just bones. We don't ever see bones with meat appearing on them again and jinn eat them. We don't see that kind of stuff. But then we say to them, the Sheik says, these are from the affairs of the unseen. These are from the affairs of the unseen that occur, that those uh, dung and the bones are used by the jinn, so therefore it is not permissible to use them to wipe yourselves with so these are the issues mentioned in this hadith regarding using the toilet you cannot face the Kaaba you cannot face the Kaaba or give your back to the Kaaba it's agreed upon you cannot do that out in the open as for being in a building blocked off by walls like in normal bathrooms these days then many of the scholars say it's okay even though some of them took the opinion that it's the same thing and you still shouldn't do it then there was the issue that Uh, you must either face to the sides, therefore don't face the kaaba and give your back to it. Similarly, do not use your right hand in cleaning yourself, use your left hand. Similarly, using three separate wipes, three wipings of that area to clean yourself with. Uh, And it doesn't have to be stones, it could be something else that takes the place of stones. And finally, that you cannot use the dung which is dried up, or the bones, because the jinn, they benefit from those things. Uh, therefore that is not permissible to use and the Shaykh mentions as the final point again it indicates to you the complete nature of the Sharia that it explains everything to that extent those types of details don't face the Kaaba don't give you back to the Kaaba don't use your right hand don't use the bones don't use the dung every detail is mentioned so it explains how the Sharia it encompasses all of the affairs and that is the greatness of the Sharia the revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so we'll conclude upon that point, And we'll carry on next time with some more of the mannerisms of using the toilet. Some more of the morals and the mannerisms of using the toilet. Uh, some more ahadith which are left in this chapter. We'll carry on with inshaAllah ta'ala next time.